Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hour number three of the show. Don't look now, but here come the Warriors once again in the fourth quarter. It's a five-point Blazers lead. They are trying to hang on and extend this series. It's 101-96. to Steph Curry is going absolutely berserk. 35 points. He's made seven threes, nine rebounds, seven assists for Steph Curry. Uh, He's incredible. And let's be honest, this team revolves around him, not Kevin Durant. We've said that for quite a while. And he's proving that this team is, is just as good, in my mind, without KD, oddly. You wouldn't think so. KD's a great player. But Golden State trying to make the comeback, 7 8 to play uh, in that game, see what the Blazers do there. LSU baseball, they begin their SEC tournament run tomorrow when they take on number 12, South Carolina, in Hoover, Alabama, a place that has become LSU East, Baton Rouge East. It's just been an incredible amount of success over the past decade for LSU in that tournament, winning its six out of the last 10 years, and they probably need two wins, I would think, um, somewhere around there, two to three to secure themselves a regional hosting site. So big week for LSU and James Moran of TigerAg.com on in to talk to us about it at Smartest Moran on Twitter. James, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing well, Seth. How are you? I'm good. This is, uh, like I said, this is uh, the LSU Invitational, like everybody likes to call it, James. Um, big week for the Tigers and a rare time that we're seeing them open it up um, on that single elimination day as they're taking on South Carolina tomorrow. Yeah, uh, I would I would agree with your assessment. I think two wins, they feel pretty good about their chances of of being a regional host if they can somehow get to the weekend. Which, given their track record, I would I would not bet against because it seems like they do every year. I mean, last year they went to this tournament with pretty much no starting pitching and made it all the way to the finals somehow. So, never really bet against them in Hoover, but a very pivotal week if they want to. Uh, ensure that there are some more games to be played at Alex Box this season. Well, it's been starting pitching and the injuries to that group that has just decimated um, their staff and a big reason why they've struggled this year. Got good news today when we heard Cole Henry is going to get the start, James. How big is that? I think it's huge, you know, not just for this weekend, but the possibility of having him obviously for next weekend in an NCAA regional. Um, and I think really the starting pitching as a whole is – you feel about as good about it right now as you have since any point since the injuries start happening. I mean, Eric Walker threw a really good game. He gave him six strong innings of two-hit ball against Auburn, and then you had to love what you saw from Landon Marceau on Friday night. I mean, he was just absolutely dominant for seven innings. Probably could have gone eight, but they didn't really want to push him knowing he's coming back on one day short rest this week, assuming they get past the single elimination game. But to get Henry back is huge. I mean, no bones about it. When he's been healthy, he has been their best pitcher this year. And he was really hitting his stride right when he, he got hurt. And, you know, they've been kind of doing it with, with smoke and mirrors the last few weeks without him. So to get him back, look, he's only going to pitch three innings, but 
I think it's a big boost because otherwise they'd be bullpenning this game. And considering they just did an extra inning bullpen game a couple days ago, the fact that they can get him and if he can give them three good innings, I think that's a really good start to the weekend for them. And obviously the implication is if he does pitch well and gives them three good innings and looks like Cole Henry, then all of a sudden you pencil him in for a start next week. And then, you know, three starters is kind of the number you want to have going into an NCAA regional. you got to win three games. And then you feel a lot better about this LSU team if they've got Henry for at least five innings and Walker and Marso throwing the ball as well as they are right now. Yeah, no doubt. It harkens back to a couple of years ago when they had Poche and Lang and then freshman Eric Walker was a big reason why those three guys taking them to that final series uh, in Omaha. What's the, what's the plan for the rest of the week? We know it's going to be Walker and Marso. If they get to that you know, Friday game they have to play, if they get to the weekend, what's going to be the plan, James? I imagine it'll look a lot like Sunday or Saturday looked against Auburn, where you're probably going to see somebody like Fontenot or Beck or, or someone of that ilk starting, and then them just kind of trying to piece it together from there. I think they they would like, and look, they're, they're not going to come out and say this, but you would like to be able to get past South Carolina without really taxing Fontenot, Peterson, or Zach Hess. Those are your your three main bullpens at this at this three main bullpen arms at this moment. If you could somehow, and look, South Carolina's not good. They only won eight SEC games, and they beat out Arkansas, or beat out Alabama and Kentucky for the last spot by a game. Their pitching has really struggled. This is a game where you're looking to get a good start out of Henry, and hope, you're hoping that your offense can start fast and give you a big lead where you're not taxing your bullpen and you really have everybody ready to go for Mississippi State on Wednesday, Wednesday evening. But you never know. I mean, look. They've been in this spot before, and these do-or-die games are almost never easy. And I remember last year, I think they they played South Carolina. No, they played Mississippi State last year, and it was it was kind of a crazy game. Zach Hess came out of the bullpen back when that wasn't really his thing. They they started Nick Bush, who was a reliever at that point, and just kind of figured out a way to make it work. But they were kind of pitching strong all week. This week, um, if they get past this first game, I think their pitching sets up pretty well, where you've got Walker from Mississippi State and – Win or lose that game, you got Marceau on, on one day, only one day short rest, ready to go on Thursday. If they get to Friday, number one, it means they've won two games. So I think they'll probably feel like anything beyond that is, you know, you, you feel good about your regional hosting and you're kind of just playing. I, I don't want to say playing with house money because you never know what the committee is going to do. But, you know, you get what I'm saying where two wins yeah. is really kind of the, the magic number they're shooting for here and trying to guarantee themselves. So I would think the plan after that would be to, to use a mix of guys like Beck or Peterson or Fontenot, guys like that, maybe Mikhail Hilliard, who's obviously been a starter at times this year. But I think their main focus right now is obviously getting through tomorrow, and then you have Walker and Marceau set for the at least two more games that you'd play. And you try to win at least one of them. If you win both of them, you get a bye to the weekend. And obviously then that would set them up very well going into the weekend. Talking to James Moran, great stuff here as we preview the SEC baseball tournament. LSU heading to Hoover, Alabama. They open it up with South Carolina tomorrow, 7.30 the pregame, 8 o'clock first pitch. You can hear that right here on WWL. Um, Zach Hess has made that transition to the bullpen. He's been open about the, you know, the, the struggles in that transition, especially mentally for him. And he had that late-inning meltdown uh, against Auburn then pitched uh, the extra innings there. Um, are you comfortable with Zach Hess in the back end? you think there's still a transition period that, that he needs to, to be the old Zach Hess that we saw a couple of years ago, flamethrowing on the back end of that bullpen? Well, I think it's fair to wonder if you're going to get that guy again, you know? I mean, he, that guy was a force of nature in 2017. I mean, he was 
about as close to unhittable as any pitcher I've seen at the college level. Now, he can be better than he is right now. I mean, right now he's pitching to a ERA north of five and a half since he's going back to the bullpen, and he'll be the first to tell you that's not going to get it done. But um, he went back and looked at – he said he analyzed every pitch from the Auburn game, and he thought it was more a matter of the pitch sequencing. And basically, you know, you're a two-pitch pitcher in the bullpen. I don't, I don't think the answer is to invent – is to start throwing more change-ups just because it's really hard to get three pitches ready – in the bullpen when you're a reliever. I think that's just kind of the nature of the beast. But I do think that he can be a little bit smarter and him and Alan Dunn to be a little bit more varied in the way they pitch guys. It sounds like from talking to him and, and what he looked what he looked at from his last few outings is that basically it's what they're doing to him as a starter, where they're if it spins and it's that slider curveball that that nasty pitch he throws, they're just laying off it and they're just waiting on a fastball. And his fastball velocity seems like it's getting a little bit higher every game. I mean he touched ninety six last time out. But it's still not that 98-99 he was pumping in in Omaha a couple years ago. Now, that might just be a matter of adrenaline. I I don't really think that he's ever a guy that's going to sit 97-98. Frankly, not a lot of guys are at this level. But I think he can definitely be better. And, look, he's got to be. This team's not going to – I mean, look, they're not going to reduce his role. He's going to be the closer. He's going to be their number one reliever. And I think at this point they're going to sink or swim with him. And the reason I would still feel good about it is – he is a pretty smart pitcher, a pretty introspective guy. I think he could look at himself critically and figure out what it is that's going wrong. And what I'd be curious about is how quickly they go back to him because he threw a lot of pitches on Saturday. That's kind of what I'm getting at, that I think they would prefer not to have to use him against South Carolina just because of the workload. But if they end up in a one-run game late, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him as the guy that gets the call. You know, the top half of this, this lineup for LSU over the past couple of weeks has really started to rake. They had, uh, I think, Watson went hitless on that, that Sunday loss or the Saturday loss, I guess, to, to, to Auburn. So a little blip there. But one through, at least one through four, maybe one through five, you could see the shift here. And, and, and James, we talked about it before. Late season LSU and late season lineup under Paul Maneri, they always seem to start raking this time of year. And one through five, it seems like they're about as solid there as they have been all season. Am I reading that right? I actually would think I would go nine through five. I think the things, the, the production they've got is out of Saul Garza these last few weeks from the nine hole, I think has been absolutely critical to the success they've had. I mean, he's looked like the guy they thought they were getting before the year. He said, I think a home run in three of the last four, four of the last five SEC series. He, got, he had a couple of three-hit games against Auburn over the weekend. He's really hitting all of a sudden. His arm has obviously been a difference maker behind the plate. We've seen him throw some guys out. We saw him pick a guy off in the Auburn series who, who got a little bit far off third base. But I, I agree. I think, I mean, look, guys like Josh Smith, Antoine Duplantis, you're just going to count on them to do their jobs. They're, they're solid. To me, Watson's the key. Because if you look around the SEC and the teams they're going to face this week, there is a – I don't remember a time where there's been this much top-end left-handed pitching in the SEC. And, look, we've seen it all year. This LSU team has has seemingly faced a parade of left-handers all season long. I would be encouraged about what they did against Jack Owen on Friday night. They put some really good at-bats on the Auburn lefty who came in with an ERA under two. So, I mean, look, if you you win, you're going to see Ethan Small from Mississippi State on, on Wednesday night. He's one of the nastiest lefties out there. We've seen them have to deal with guys like Asa Lacey and John DeFaxis from Texas A&M. Uh, Vanderbilt's got some lefties. I mean, they're going to have to face left-hand pitching. And to me, the key to this lineup, especially against those lefties, is Zach Watson. 
he's he's kind of I feel like he's the streakiest hitter on this team, and when he's going good, the lineup's normally going good. But I, I would agree with you that that top four, and I and I would throw Garza in there considering how well he's been swinging the bat lately, has has been a lot more consistent these last couple weeks than they were for. For most of the season who's the best team in the sec is is it arkansas is it the easy answer there james i actually think it's vanderbilt you know i was looking i was putting together a kind of an overview of the sec tournament and just kind of looking at the teams in lsu's half of the bracket and the offensive numbers vanderbilt put up this year are downright scary i mean jj bladet has turned into the best power hitter in the country i mean he hit 25 bombs this year they got three different guys who drove in 60 or more runs this year i mean that's a team that is just machine-like in the way they're scoring runs right now. So I think, and look, if LSU is going to make it to the weekend one way or another, they're probably going to have to go through Vanderbilt because they're the number one seed. They're in their half of the bracket. Uh, I think Vanderbilt is number one to me because of their offense. And they've also got a really good pitching led by Patrick Raby, but Arkansas is not far behind. I mean, that team, and look now, I, I like LSU's chances if they face Arkansas a lot better in this building than in Arkansas's building, because that's a bit of a home run haven. And, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, they're a really hard team to keep in the yard in their own building. But, it, it, I mean, we've probably talked about this all year, Seth, but the SEC is pretty loaded. I mean, and, uh, <laughs> but to me, Vanderbilt's one, Arkansas is two, and then I think I'd put State and Georgia's 3A and 3B. Yeah, I, I was telling an earlier guest when we were talking about the tournament, I, I hope LSU is part of this. I cannot wait for Omaha because it is going to be a war between the SEC and the Pac-12, a war of bragging rights, and I cannot wait for that, James. I mean, when you're looking at, if L, say LSU is a regional host, there's a 50-50 chance they're paired with another SEC team. I mean, I think those first four teams are virtual locks for national seeds at this point, even if they go two and out in Hoover. I mean, it's really normally – Five is kind of a stretch. You don't normally get five, but I think what works in LSU's favor a little bit here is that the first four are all national seeds, <laughs> right. and they're going to want some other SEC teams on that host line, I would think. But I I don't know. You know, I, it's so tough to get inside the mind of the committee. I mean, LSU, I think they have a good case in that they've played this really hard schedule. I mean, they're, I think they're number three in the country in terms of strength of schedule right now, which is kind of weird because they didn't play Vanderbilt, who is, who's the number one team in the country. But I don't know. It should be a fun week. I mean, this this week is always really when kind of the baseball gets cranked up, you know, in this SEC tournament. And LSU's had a lot of success there. So if they can have a good week here, all of a sudden I think it kind of resets what you start to think about this season. James, it's always great. And everybody, you've got to bookmark TigerAg.com. They're going to be covering this SEC tournament like nobody else. TigerAg.com. And James is, of course, on Twitter at SmartestMoran, one of the best Twitter handles out there. James, always appreciate the chats, man. Enjoy Hoover. Thanks, Seth. Appreciate it, man. Talk to you again soon. Oh, you bet. James Moran and LSU tomorrow night right here in this time slot. 8 o'clock, first pitch right after it. LSU, South Carolina, SEC tournament opener. Steph Curry is going absolutely insane, folks. I never have got the Steph hate, and I'm being vindicated again tonight. We'll update you on this Blazers-Warriors game. Less than a minute left when we come back. It's the last lap on WWL. I just cannot get enough of Steph Curry. I just I just cannot. As a basketball guy, as a guy who loves the sport of basketball and likes to see it played with the, with the beauty and precision I think it can be played, Steph Curry is my dude. And tonight's the reason why. 37 points for Curry. He's got a triple-double, 11 rebounds, 10 assists, soft my rear end. 
He's 7 of 15 from three. He's 8 of 9 from the free throw line. No Andre Iguodala. No Kevin Durant. It might not matter. He's led the Warriors back from 14 points down in the second half, and they are tied at 111-111 as they have, let's see, Portland with the ball with four seconds left. Dame into the lane, and this hangs on the rim and falls off. That was a double bouncer on the left side of the rim. Dame almost had the game winner. 0.1 seconds left, and that means we're going to be headed to overtime, most likely. Another overtime game, Warriors and the Blazers, 111. 1-11. How deflating this has been uh, for Portland's. Gotta love Dame, too. He's had a, a really rough series against that swarming defense of the Warriors. 26 points tonight, though, for Damian. 24 for C.J. McCollum. It's an incredible duo. And Leonard leads them, though, with 30 points, 12 of 14 from the floor. He is 5 of 6 from 3. He's added 11 rebounds. Portland team is good, folks. And any other era besides this Warriors dynasty era, they they probably have a pretty good shot at playing in the NBA Finals, but I guess much like Utah, the Jazz in the Jordan era, again, any other era, at least the, most eras, Utah would have played in multiple NBA Finals and probably won multiple NBA championships. Well, they got to one, lost to those Bulls, probably would have won titles if it wasn't for Jordan and those Bulls. Let's take a break here for CBS News. When we come back, I want to talk a little NBA and Pelicans. We did earlier today with Ollie Cosell of the Bird Rights, and it was really great stuff, kind of laying out some of the trade scenarios for Anthony Davis and how we think that they should build this team around now Zion and not necessarily Anthony Davis. Phone lines will also be open, 504-260-1870. That's 260-1870. Ollie Cosell next on The Last Lap. The last segment was pre-taped earlier tonight, but we just went final, Warriors and Blazers. Warriors 119-117. They close out Portland, outscoring him 8-6 in the overtime frame. Once again, Stephen Curry is absurd, everybody. He He's absolutely absurd. 7 of 16 from 3, 37 points, 12 rebounds, 11 assists, had a steal, four offensive rebounds, turned the ball over only twice, even though he was handling the ball the whole game, <laughs> 11 assists, and the Warriors do it again. Five straight trips now for Golden State into the NBA Finals. This goes back to how I opened the show. I completely understand if you are tired of, of Golden State's dominant. If you're ready to see new blood, if you're ready to see a new champion, and if you are ready to see the uh, what will be the eventual fade of the Warriors from this, this dynasty that we're in the middle of here, I get it. Everybody's rooting for the underdog. Really, you should be rooting for the underdog. I, I was, you know, pulling for Portland here. It'd be great, great story for the city. But that doesn't mean you cannot enjoy and appreciate. The greatness when you see it. This is something we've lost the complete ability to do in our society. This internet age that we live in that is dominated online and on social media by 240 character hate mongers. You hate everything. Nothing's ever good enough, no matter how good it is. The Warriors are good. They play basketball the way 
that Dr. Naismith probably meant it to be played. And John Wooden certainly uh, saw it played when he had the, the dynasties at UCLA and the Lakers and Celtics dynasties of the 70s and 80s. It's ball movement. It's sharing the basketball. It's unselfishness. And for the first time, this is something that didn't happen with those Celtics and Lakers dynasties, it's positionless basketball. It is a new way to play this game that, that frankly, is quite beautiful when it's played right. Of course, I'm tired of the Warriors winning everything. Who isn't? But that doesn't mean I'm not. I'm tired of the way that they play the game of basketball. They don't. They play the game right. And for the Pelicans fans out there, instead of just hating, maybe look to Golden State as the blueprint for how the Pelicans can build a championship contender in New Orleans. Everybody forgets this now. Everybody forgets that Golden State was one of the Western Conference doormats for two decades before Steph Curry and Klay Thompson were drafted and Draymond Green. They had one playoff appearance in 17 years before those guys showed up. One playoff appearance in 17 years. They'd only been to the NBA Finals once in their franchise's history. That was back in 1974. What did they do? They built through the draft. Yes, they got fortunate that Steph turned into the player that he is and Clay turned into the Hall of Famer and, of course, Draymond Green, the all-time steal in the second round. Of course, you get fortunate. That doesn't mean that, well, the Pelicans can't be equally as fortunate. They already have been. They just turned a 6% chance into Zion Williamson, the most highly regarded prospect to come into the league since LeBron James. Build through the draft. Stay away. Avoid these very high-risk free agent signings and high-risk trades. Jettison your veteran talent. And the more I think about it and the more I analyze it, we all love Drew Holiday. We love him to death. I think he's the most underrated player in the NBA, something that's backed up by the actual players who voted him exactly that a few weeks ago. He's, he's a New Orleanian. He's the consummate professional. I'm not going to be upset if he sticks around. But if you want to build around Zion and build a winner, these are the kind of tough decisions that you have to make. Trade Anthony Davis. Trade Drew Holiday. And then, yes, I believe Alvin Gentry should have been given a chance to come back next year, and he will. But if that development of all these young players under Alvin Gentry starts to stagnate and stall, then you've got to do what Golden State did with Mark Jackson. And that is very quickly realize that it's not working and get somebody in here who will see your vision through. It's going to be a fun few years, hopefully longer than that here in New Orleans for basketball fans, but just appreciate what the Warriors have done. Again, your Western Conference champs once again. They sweep the Blazers 119-117 today. We're wrapping up the show next, hopefully with some sound from that game. Incredible. Warriors do it again. Fifth straight trip to the NBA Finals. Welcome back to our show. Tomorrow, remember, it's LSU baseball in the SEC tournament as they open it up against South Carolina out in Hoover. Good luck to the Tigers as they they need two, maybe three. I, I think they definitely need two wins in the SEC tournament, and it does depend on what the other teams, of course, do across the country, the teams that are on that regional hosting bubble. So there's no magic formula here, but my guess is three would, would definitely secure that, host, that regional hosting site. That means you win Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. 
uh, well, at least three games. I suppose it's double in the nation once you get to Wednesday. But three wins in the SEC tournament should do it. In fact, our Blue Runner opinion poll, Blue Runner Gumbo opinion poll at www.com, how many games does LSU need to win to host a regional? Three-plus People agreeing with me, 71% of you saying three-plus games, 26% saying two-plus games. Thanks to Ron and Logan behind the glass tonight. Great job, guys. Thanks to Ben Mintz and Jacob Boss for coming into studio. Also, James Moran and Ollie Cosell, our other guests this evening. If you missed any part of the program, remember you can get it on demand at www.com, the radio.com app or Apple Podcasts. I'm Seth Dunlap. Give me a follow on Twitter, at Seth Dunlap. I've got a big feature piece coming at WWL.com on why the Pelicans should look to the Warriors for championship blueprints. 1,600 words coming your way in about a half an hour. As always, I leave you with our moment is in. Yesterday, Brooks Kepka winning the PGA Championship. Here's Brooks. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.